I'm Dawn. And I'm Ashley. We would like to welcome you to the Work It, You Are Worth It podcast. Where two friends sit around and talk about healing, growth, and healthy relationships. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Dawn. How are you tonight? I am great. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. I don't know about you, but I am... Man, I feel like time is just flying. It's kicking my butt. It's going so fast. Absolutely. The older we get, the faster it goes, for darn sure. Yeah, it does. Colin said the other day, he's like, well, Mom, it's all relative to your, relative to your age. Because for me, a year is only one eighteenth of my life, and it's one fiftieth of your life. Okay, Colin, thanks. So, anyways, um... So last week we did, we told our stories and I hope everyone enjoyed them as much as we enjoyed doing them. Yeah, Um, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed sharing my story last week. Yeah, me too. So since we told our stories last week, um, I know personally one of the biggest things when I was early in my recovery and when I... I realized how much my how much my life was really unmanageable and how <laughs> and I didn't understand the first time I heard the um, what step one was um, right submitting we are powerless over others and that our lives have become unmanageable I, I remember thinking like, well, my life is unmanageable. My, I'm like, I'm in good shape. Like I've got control over my life. My life looks good compared to others. I've got, I'm, a, I got my finger on the pulse of everything. So I remember, oops. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I remember thinking, wait, what do you mean? I'm powerless. I have to admit that I can't do anything and I'm completely powerless over everything. That is not like, I could not even think about the unmanageability aspect because I was so focused on the fact that I would have to be powerless. I was kind of confused about what it meant. Kind of like what you said, like, I didn't understand, like, what do you mean? I have no power. I have no And I mistook what it meant to be, I took it as like power, like, right, I'm strong and I'm, I've got, I didn't take it as um, like, I can't control nobody. (laughs) Right. See, I took it as I'm powerless, not like strength, but like, I can't do anything. Like I have to, I have, step one is admitting that I am powerless. I have to admit that I can't do anything. That is horrible. Why would I ever want to say that I can't do anything? That is how I first heard it, was admitting that I am powerless over others means that I cannot get anyone to do anything. And for me, in that moment, that was absolutely like, what do you mean? I can't, I can convince people to do things all the time. I, I coerce people into doing things. People do things for me all the time. What do you mean? I'm powerless over everything. No, I'm not. So I I had to really, like, I had to accept, like, I really thought that I really believed that I had the power within me 
to fix or change or heal or whatever you want to say others. It's really interesting how we both took from it differently. Meaning I really, you grabbed powerlessness when you started in your journey. I grabbed unmanageability. And it's interesting that we both, we just grabbed different things. Uh-huh. Neither one of us was, is wrong or, you know, or more right than the other. It's just what, where we were at that moment in our, in our recovery. Right. Well, and I don't know that I necessarily think unmanageability and powerlessness are that different. I think it's the way that we hear them, or at least for me, right? If I'm powerless, then I also can't manage it, right? It's unmanageable. Now, in recovery and in actually working step one, I don't necessarily feel the same way. But at that point, when I first was introduced to this concept of powerless and unmanageability. For me, they were they were very much tied together. Yeah. Thinking back to our stories from last week, I was thinking about some of the areas that of my life that were that were really unmanageable and there was a big big part of like it was most everything. Um, you know, obviously romantic relationships, like my, that was a complete unmanageable mess. My, just everything, bills, work, my time, my relationships, my, I mean, just everything was so unmanageable, but I thought I had it all under control. I remember saying to my therapist, uh, if I was juggling it was like I was juggling balls, and if one ball fell, everything was going to fall. I remember feeling that way. It was also, me, I have to, like, there's a really big time boundary for me. Like, for many, 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 many years, things appeared manageable. And then all of a sudden, something happened and everything in my life became unmanageable. Yeah. Like you said, kind of, I'm juggling all of these balls. And if one ball falls, they're all going. Yep. And one my- little thing becomes unmanageable. And every, it's just catastrophic. Yep. Everything becomes unmanageable. And which I, we both shared, like, I know for me, mine's the guy that brought me here. That relationship, when it crumbled, when it fell, when that ball fell, it did everything. I... Like I said, I spiraled. And the only way to stop it was to put to pick that ball back up. But then once I picked it up and I realized what I was doing, then I could put them all down. But it took a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, my life very quickly, it just went from... Gosh, and it did it both times, right? With my ex-husband, my my oldest children's father, we were married and things felt manageable. Yes, I was struggling and yes, I was controlling and manipulative. And yes, I felt like if he would just listen to me, then it would be okay. But it felt manageable because I knew what needed to happen to make it okay. Right. And then all of a sudden, one thing changed, and it all fell apart. 
but I didn't find Coda, right? I just started over. Oh. And then I did it again. And this time, when it all fell apart, it, it was... It was exactly the same. Actually, when I take myself back to rock bottom 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, before I started over, it felt almost exactly the same as rock rock bottom three years ago, four years ago. It's crazy how that happens. I I just actually never realized that until I said that. (laughs) So... We can have multiple rock bottoms. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Now, how deep that bottom is depends on how powerless or powerful I think I am and how manageable I think life is. I, like you, have had multiple rock bottoms. Um, I think they're very much a part of our lives, unfortunately. The difference is how I handled, like you said, how I handled it coming coming out of it I didn't have any tools the first time around I had none I literally only had what I thought was I only had me so I had to pick myself up I had to get everything back under control and so what for me what I did was I started controlling more because the more I controlled The more I watched what everyone else was doing and made sure they were doing everything just right and manipulating and controlling how they did it, I couldn't look at myself. I didn't want to look at myself. So full of everyone else, there's no room for me. Yep. But isn't that what feeling like I am powerful and life is manageable Isn't that what that is, right? Yeah. I am full of everyone else. If I think that other people are manageable and I am powerful over them, right? Powerless is the opposite of powerful. So if I'm not powerless, then I must be powerful. Mm -hmm. And if I'm powerful over other people and I am managing other people, I mean, really, those things aren't possible, Right. You know that. I know that. We've been through this recovery program. We've been through this healthy living and we are still going through it. So the knowledge that other people are not manageable, it do, that, it's not saying that they can't manage themselves. It's not saying that I can't manage myself. It's not saying that I can't manage the situation. It's simply saying that I cannot manage someone else or their lives. And I know firsthand that one of my biggest issues before Codependence Anonymous was that I tried to manage other people's lives. Mm -hmm. I tried to fix them. I tried to make them better. I tried to whatever. I tried to manage their lives. I thought I was powerful over them. If they would just do what I said, then life would be okay. As soon as I do that and feel that way, then I know I am right back at the beginning of my unhealthy living, of my emotional addiction to other people. Something you said, something was going through my head while you were were saying that. And all I kept thinking was, 
my life was perfect. My, I needed my life to be perfect. I did not want anyone to see where my life was a mess. And for me, it was a lot of deflection, right? If I was, if I, I kept these walls up because I couldn't let anyone see my life was unmanageable, my life was powerless. I had to appear perfect in other people's perceptions. Yes. Even though I have no control of somebody else's perception. And their perception is usually based off what they have gone through in their life and where they are currently in their situation and typically has absolutely nothing to do with me. Right. And yet I knew, just like you were saying, that I had to appear to be all together, right? I have no problem working 60 hours a week, raising two kids as a single mom and cooking dinner and keeping my house clean and having two dogs and keeping a smile on my face all the time. I will be perfect. Yeah. And I became very good at it. That's what it looked like. Boy, was it the biggest lie. (laughs) Oh my God. You were just going to say that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. That's what it felt like. To me, even, that's what it felt like, that I had everything under control. Now, I'm not going to say that I didn't juggle a lot. And I'm not going to say that I did a terrible job at it. I was very good. I like to say I was a very good codependent and I was very good at controlling and manipulating others. Hell yeah, I don't do nothing halfway. (laughs) <laughs> no, why, why would I do that? Especially right, when I'm we so don't good do at anything it. halfway. <laughs> and I didn't like that was comfortable. And it's I'm going to be honest, that still can be comfortable. It's you, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, it's that old If shoe. you had hell yeah, like for sure, like if you had come to me five years ago and told me that I was powerless and my life was unmanageable or told me that I was controlling and I was manipulative or told me that I would be amazing if I could just get out of my own way. I would have been so offended and you, I would have told you just how wrong you were and how crazy you were and how you obviously had no idea what I was doing in my life because you were a hundred percent wrong. And yet, if you ask me right now, and I look back five years ago, I was powerless. It was unmanageable. I was controlling, and I was absolutely manipulative. Yep. People would tell me all the time, you're controlling. You're controlling. I wore that shit like a badge of honor. I know. I know. I didn't take it as a bad thing. I took it as it was a good thing. And that's so messed up to say, and it's, but it was the way it was. You're a control freak. I've heard that for years and years and years and years. And I was proud of it. I just didn't believe it. I I just insisted that they had no idea what they were talking about. Well, it couldn't be a bad, I mean, I couldn't let it be a bad thing because if it was a bad thing, then that meant I was, I was less than. So... Let's talk about what does it mean to be powerless? 
When we talk about step one, I am powerless over others and my life has become unmanageable. What does I am powerless over others mean? That I can, for me, what it means is I have no influence and I cannot control their lives. Meaning I have no power over their emotions. I have no power over their feelings. I have no power over their actions. I cannot... I cannot do anything about them. It's so kind uh, of Go ahead. I absolutely agree with you right now. Today, I agree 100%. That is what I am powerless over others means. I have zero power over anyone other than myself. I cannot make anyone do anything. I cannot make anyone think anything. I have no power. Now, For the longest time, I could not, I just couldn't take that in. Like, I understood that I couldn't make anyone do anything, but I couldn't take in just how powerless I was. Until someone told me, and I I think I said this last week in my story also, other people's thoughts, feelings, opinions, and behaviors are just none of my business. And that's what it means to be powerless. I shouldn't have an opinion on what someone else is doing. I shouldn't have a thought about what someone else is doing. I shouldn't have anything about something that is someone else's business. It has nothing to do with me. That is what I I had to transfer that in my mind. It took me years to get to the point where I could say that is being controlling, trying to make someone not yell at me is me trying to control them. And if someone tries to control me, I'm going to yell at them. So in order to not get him or her or them to yell at me, I need to stop trying to control them. But if you'd have come to me five years ago and said that, I'd have lost my mind. Like, I'm not being controlling. I'm standing up for myself. I'm teaching them how to treat me. I'm doing this and doing that. And now I can hear you. But I had to teach myself. I had to convince myself. And I had to make myself believe that other people's thoughts, feelings, and opinions are none of my business before I could accept that I am powerless over them. I want your thought on something. In one of the books that I've read, it make, it talks about where we're powerless over old feelings and negative beliefs that we've gained in our lives. So it's kind of crazy to bring that up because it puts such this uh, uh, anomaly, I guess I would call it. Um, in order to change those old habits and old beliefs and old thought processes, I first have to accept that I am powerless over them. It is a habit. I cannot make this go away by myself. If I could, I would have, right? I don't like biting my nails. If I could stop biting my nails, I'd have done it already. I don't like being controlling. If I knew I was being controlling and I could stop being controlling, I wouldn't be controlling. So I have to first accept that I am whatever it is, and then I can change it. So where old patterns and old thoughts and old 
behaviors, character defects, the things we don't want come into play, first I have to accept that they're there. I have to accept that I'm not managing them and I don't like them in order to remove them. So when you look at those characteristics, beliefs, and thoughts, and feelings, and patterns, and all of that, I remember looking at the characteristics and like, okay, I did a good chunk of them, right? I mean, I did quite a few, but I, there was a lot on there that I didn't do, but until I came back and visited them six months down the road. And I think that's part of this process is remembering that just because we don't identify, I don't identify with something in my life being unmanageable today. For me, when I came to CODA, when I came, started recovery, I was so focused on my romantic relationship. That's what I was focused on. It wasn't about me becoming, me getting, being Dawn 2.0. It was just because there was nothing, right? It was, how do I, how am I better in my relationship? How do I fix my relationship? Until I realized and I understood there was so many other areas of my life that I was unmanageable in and I couldn't control. And I had to kind of like do this piece, realize my life was unmanageable almost in steps until I got to the point of, well, my whole life pretty much was unmanageable and I was just faking it till I made it. Well, so, and, and that's exactly what I had to do as well. And, and I believe that is, I, I believe that it's meant to be that way, right? So I can't take in, let's, let's do this analogy. I cannot pick up 500 pounds of weights if I have not trained my body to pick up 500 pounds of weights. I have to first pick up five and then 10 and then 20 and 30 and 100 and 200 before I I can't just go in and scoop up 500 pounds of weights. If I do that, I'm going to hurt myself. Yep. I was gonna it's say, the exact was, same thing. I was actually going to say, oh, I could do it once, but then... Right, you're going to hurt yourself. I'm going to do damage. It's the same thing. Yep. If I go in and I'm like, I do this wrong, I do this wrong, I do this wrong, I do this, and I just overload myself with all of this crap all at one time, it's too much. Mm -hmm. It's just too much at once. And that also brings about another point that I feel like I have to make is don't slap somebody else with the truth. Maybe they're not ready for your reality. So outside of CODA or outside of recovery work, I, unless somebody knows that I'm in a 12-step program and I knows that I'm doing this work on me, I actually don't bring it up to new people. Now, I might say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I do a podcast or somebody else will know I do one or, you know, like, oh, you can't do, that's right, you can't do things on Thursdays. And then somebody else will be like, oh, why? Okay, then, right, it's because I can't throw that on other people. I can't put that on other people because I trust my higher power. And I think that's part of this and is HP knows. He knows, like, if I trust him and I trust that, I don't need to bring it up. I don't need to shove it in somebody's face. 
because what's going to happen is, and this has happened to me more times than not, is some backwards way something comes up and I get to tell my story. And I trust that's when that person is ready to hear it. So what typically do you find happens if, let's say, you walk up to somebody and they're telling you a story and you're like, oh, man, that sounds really codependent. Here, check out Coda. This could help you. Nope, don't say it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever experienced that? One time I was in a Walmart in Texas and I was standing in the customer service line. And anybody that shops at Walmart, which is almost everybody, knows that you got to wait freaking forever at the customer service line in Walmart. So there was a lady behind me and we were just chatting and she's like, uh, do you live here? And I was like, no, um, I'm visiting for, from Florida. And she's like, oh, I used to live in Florida until I got kicked out of the state by my mother-in-law because my boyfriend was this, 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 and this, and this, 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 and this. And she went, I mean, literally she went full, like dumped everything. And I was like, oh yeah, I can, um, I can understand, um, relationship issues. You know, I'm actually, um, I've been in a program for about four years because this was, um, just earlier, this was at Christmas this year. Um, I've been in a program for, you know, four years um, that actually has helped me learn to have um, healthier relationships with the people in my lives. Really, she says, what's this program called? I said, let me write it down for you. I handed her www.coda.org on the back of a Walmart receipt and I walked away. That's the closest I've ever been to telling about this program in less than five minutes. So I have told a couple of people about this program. Um, there's actually three people I could think of that I've mentioned this program to in person. And I brought it up to them as they were telling me, kind of like you mentioned, unloading, dumping their life issues. Um, and I'm like, hey, so I joined this program a little while ago and I really think it could help and here's all the information. What I find typically is when I try to bring this to people, one of two things happens. Either they get offended, like, I'm not codependent, what are you trying to say? Or two, they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool, and then they never do anything. And the other side of that is when somebody comes to me and says, hey, are you doing this? Can you tell me about this? I would love some information about this, and then I give it to them. I find they typically get involved, even if just for a short period. Yeah. I did have one situation. I didn't even think about it until you said something. Um, I did have a lady that I met in the meetup group. We went to dinner probably four or five weeks in a row with the group. And she just kept, you know, whatever. And then one of my, um, one of my friends that I met in the group, she was sometimes, she's like, yeah, Dawn does... Um, Dawn does a podcast on codependency, and she was telling kind of the group. We have somebody even famous in our midst, right? We She does a, co- you know, I'm like, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so this woman actually was asking about it, and she was, oh my gosh, she was so codependent. And so I told her about it, and she wanted to, she asked me for examples. And so I gave her examples from her life. 
Do you know she's never been to another meetup group? She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. And that's okay. That's exactly my point. So just because I see the truth as I see it does not mean I need to make someone else see it as I see it. One, maybe I'm not correct. Perceptions are all different. Two, maybe they're just not ready to see it. Maybe by forcing them to see it, I make it worse for them. Yeah. There is something about living in denial <laughs> that does feel safe. I'm going to be honest. Before recovery, when I, my life, when I was living in codependency and my life was unmanageable, I, it was manageable because I was in denial. And so right. the, it becomes the safety, safety mechanism. And I know we both said last week, I would not have, I wasn't meant to come to CODA any other time than the week of June 20th, five years ago. I w- it just wouldn't have worked. I, I wouldn't have been ready. I would have been like, no, there's no way, right? No, my problem, no, my life, is, it's, it, I just need to fix my, this romantic relationship. I just need this, I need to, you know, work on me to be better so, so we can make this work. I, it's funny that you say that. I uh, look back and I've actually thought and said many times over the last two years, nothing that I'm learning in CODA is new. No. This is all stuff that I have heard before in many, many different ways. I just couldn't take it in. Put your own oxygen mask on first. Oh, yes. Your relationship with you and your and your God must come first. All kinds of put little... Your, you got to put yourself first. You got to um, take care of yourself. You aren't any good if you're not taking care of yourself. You know, you're not going to Right. If you don't love you, no one else can love you. There's so many ways to say this. It's all the same. Even therapy and psychologists, right? My mom is very into the mental health industry. And even at, at a very young age, I had a therapist and they've been telling me this stuff my whole life. My mom has told me this stuff. My dad has told me this stuff in their own ways. I was not ever in a position to hear it until I found CODA and I heard it in this way from these people. You know how I heard it? I heard it in their stories. When they talked about their own lives being unmanageable when they talked about being powerless over others in their own lives then i could actually put the pieces of the puzzle together to relate it to to my life you know and i think for me that's what it was yeah right i think just like you're saying is they were talking about themselves and then other people would talk talk about themselves in relation to the same type of situation. So I would get experience, experience, negative or positive, followed by strength, followed by hope in almost every share at almost every meeting. Yeah. And you can only hear that so many times before you start to believe that it makes a difference. I don't feel, I, I used to not feel 
part of anything, meaning I would go to events or dinners or work or right and I'd feel like such an outsider. And it was because I was always wearing a mask and nobody could see the true me. Um, I didn't want anybody to see the true me. But I remember my first meeting and there, I no longer felt like an outsider. I didn't, I felt like I belonged somewhere that understood me. Like I made sense, even with my mask on, they understood me. And then I felt yeah. safe enough to take my mask off. I immediately felt at home. Yeah. Right. I shared that last week in my story. I immediately felt like I had found my people. So I know I, I was just sitting here thinking as we were talking, I know that I go through still, even after a few years, couple years in the program and a lot of work on myself. And I know I still go through days where I have to again, admit that I am powerless over others and my life is unmanageable. I'm going to just say this. HP is kicking my ass this week. I was just going to say, heck, even today. I mean, I can't tell you what it's like to try to manage five other people at work in a supervisory type position and at the same time accept that I am powerless over other people and it is unmanageable. (laughs) (laughs) Last week for me was my, I have not had a week like I had last week where I literally felt heart palpitations. My body was tense. It was so stressed. I haven't felt that in, oh man, I haven't felt that in a long time. And it was a, it was a, it was four days of that. Why were you feeling that? Um, that's why I said HP's kicking my ass this week. Like he's, he know, he knew, he knows I have to work through this and, uh, uh, he's killing me. Um, I was feeling it because I spent too much time with my mother. I had too much contact with my mother. I had too much contact with my ex-husband. My manager was in her own making these snide comments or I will call them backwards comments to, to me about my coworker. And, you know, there was underlying right insinuations to towards me and my son was graduating. So there was emotion in there and it was a busy, crazy week. And I felt all of the feelings that I have not felt in a really long time. And I was miserable. I I thought a couple of times sitting on the couch that I should go to the emergency room. My mom and I talked about it today. I was, was being honest with her and telling her how I'd been feeling. And I was that. My, ang- my anxiety had me so worked up that I had ringing in my ears. I had... My chest was tight. I mean... It was that, like, ah, it was so much for me. And I realized, right, I I finally, I went to the meeting Thursday night, and I actually said it out loud that I was feeling this way. 
And once I said it out loud, I was like, I need some me time. I need dawn time. I, we talked about being introverts and um, I needed to recharge me. I'd been around too many people and too much that I needed space. And so Friday night, Saturday night, or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, other than get picking up groceries, I literally decompressed all weekend. I did not have any of those scares. My body relaxed. I have not had any tightness. I don't, my body doesn't feel anxious. It's like I let it all go. But I, I was in it last week. It doesn't go away. You said that. It doesn't go, like, it's going to happen in my life. That is the longest it's happened in a while. Yeah, for it to last a few days. Yeah, it hasn't happened. That hasn't happened in a really, really, I mean, a long, long time. And like, I, so let me ask you a question, though. Yeah. Those few days, if you take yourself back eight years, how long would it have lasted? Well, it was constant. Oh, you mean like all the time. So it would have been like months on end until yeah. something else popped up. And then that would have lasted for months. And so it was just nonstop all the time. Yeah. So it would just pile on top of each other. Just so it's kind of crazy how now just a couple of days is like, oh, my God, that's so much when it used to be all the time. And I didn't think that it was such a normal feeling. That was normal. <laughs> God, it's no wonder I've had the health issues that I've had because Stress, anxiety, and all of that, when it has nowhere to go, when you just keep piloting, piling it on top and on top and on top and on top, it can't go, and it doesn't go anywhere, what's going to happen to it? It's got to it's gotta go somewhere. Right. It's all energy, and energy has to be released somehow, whether it releases internally and remains internal until it works itself out, or we release it externally. Mm -hmm. It's up to us. Yep. And I didn't do anything like crazy. All I did was I need to sit in my apartment for two and a half days, two and a quarter days, and only be around my youngest son. And, and him, being around him, he's in his room the whole time. So it was really just my dog. That's what I needed. And that, you know, that's okay. That's okay that that's what I needed because now I know what I need. When I What if what you needed was to lay in bed for, for 2 days? That's okay. I can lay in bed for 2 days. I can do I can do whatever I need to do to feel better. What if what you need to do though is to go outside and scream and yell at the top of your lungs and your neighbors are like right on top of you and there's nowhere quiet you can do it? Well, I live in an apartment, so even if I scream inside, everyone's going to hear me. If I scream outside, it's not going to make much of a difference because they're still going to hear me. So I'll just scream. I could go to my car. I could shut my garage door and get in my car and scream at the top of my lungs. Nobody would hear me. I can do literally whatever I need to do to make me feel better. Go for a what walk. What if what you need to do makes somebody else angry? Not that it hurts them, not that it interferes in their life, 
not that it negatively impacts them by anything you have caused, but, but they just don't like it. It makes them angry. So I'm going to actually tell you a quick story about what happened today. So my okay. mom, um, I hadn't talked to my mom much, you know, obviously this weekend, I kind of left some space. And I said to her today, when we were talking, I was like, I was really feeling this way last week and it was a lot and I know I was a little bit short, right? I made an amends um, because I know I was short with her and I was like, you know, I just was feeling this way and I really needed some time. I had spent too much time with you. I've interacted with you too much. Um, You know, we did the cards for the medallions and so I had a lot of interaction with her and I told her that. I said, I needed some time away from you. And she's like, well, that's okay. She's like, but I have a question for you. Is it okay that I sometimes need um, space from you too? And I was like, "Horse." and I think there's the thing. If I need something to make me better, to make me get through what I'm going through, It is okay to say to someone, I need space, even if it's a loved one, even if it's your partner, even if it's your children. And it doesn't matter if they like it or not, because it's space that I need. Because if they know, if they love you, they're going to know, right? If they are aware enough, look, I need some space so I can be a better me, which that then rolls downhill to everybody else. And no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. No, it it definitely. If I need space, I need space. If you need space, you need space. If mom needs space, mom needs space. If I need space as a mom from my children, I have every right to close my door and say, I need 10 minutes. I need 30 minutes. You are not allowed in my room. Yep. That there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where it's like now worrying about what other people feel. When, if I, if I need that, it's not going, storming off and slamming the door. That's, no. It's, hey, I need some space. I need a little bit of time. I need 10 minutes. Can you get, I need you guys just to give me 10 minutes. Right? There's a whole thing of being respectful of others and asking for so what we need. let me tell my story too. Okay. Yeah. Yes, and asking for what we need. Yes. So I have a very similar story with my mom as far as needing space and and asking for what I need and getting what I need um, and other people's feelings on it. So I love my mom. I absolutely adore my mom. She is a lot. (laughs) And work is a lot. And sometimes the kids are a lot. And sometimes Nick can be a lot. And sometimes that can all be a lot at the same time. So when that stuff gets to be a lot at the same time, I tend to prioritize which a lot I can handle, which I have enough bandwidth for. And my mom is 70 years old, lives on her own and is grown. And right. So she tends to be Right. When it comes to my kids or Nick or work or my mom, sorry, mom, I love you, but you're at the bottom of that list as far as when I'm low on bandwidth. Um, So whereas you communicated with your mom, hey, I had to take that space because of this. I can't do that with my mom anymore. Um, When I tell my mom I have to take some space, 
this is too much for me or I need some alone time. I've been spending too much time with you. For her, that feels very personal. Mm. Um, and she begins to feel like I don't like being around her. So I don't say that to her. I will just not answer my phone for three or four days or I'll answer and I'll say, hey, are you okay? I'm really busy. I'll call you back later. And then I won't call her back for two or three days. Now, if she needs me and she calls two or three times in a day, I will always call her back just to make sure she's okay. But even then, I'm not to her, listen, I'm going to get off the phone. I just, I don't have the energy to deal with this right now. Because if I do that, she takes that personal. So I just say, hey, I got to go. I'll talk to you later. I'll give you a call in a couple of days. I love you. Bye. And I hang up. I just get off the phone in a normal way. Sorry. So sometimes I just get off the phone in a normal way, and then I'll just go three days without talking to her, and I'll never say anything. So it's funny you share this story because we, I mean, there is, I've been in the program a few years longer than you have. I used to have the same issue with my mother. The exact same story. I had to, I just basically had to lie. (laughs) There's no other way to say it. I just, I would have to, for my own sanity, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I wasn't trying to hurt her feelings. Right. Well, and I won't lie to her. I I won't lie to her. I just won't tell her. I'll just be like, I got to go. Bye. Yeah. So I guess you're right. That isn't really lying because that's what I would do. Um, Then I learned, then I picked up the habit of, let me call her when the time is controlled. I would call her. I wait till I got about 10 minutes from home and I would call her then because then I would be like, oh, I'm home. I'm going to let you go. I got to get inside. I got to cook dinner. I'll talk to you later. Love you. Bye. So it became a 10 minute window. I would control that yep. time. Then it me be- too. Yep. And then it became a point of where... I started getting more comfortable in my recovery and more confidence in myself and not started not worrying about how she felt about it. And then I could actually say, you know what? I don't feel like talking. I'm going to let you go. Or I would say, you know, I, I just had enough. Like, you know, like I, I'm, I'm just starting to feel stressed out, feel whatever. I'm going to let you go. And now... I can actually just say, mom, I need some time from you. And she gives it to me because she has done her own growing. But while I was saying this, it's because it's interesting because that only happened probably about a year ago. It took a long time to get to that point where I could say that to her. And today was the first time she actually agreed and said it to me. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where my mom has had to have space from me but she hasn't been able to say that that's what she needed and I can also definitely see where I've needed to have space from her um And I can also see where I have needed space from her, but I have not been able to tell her that that's exactly what I've needed. And the reason I don't say to her, I need space from you, or I've spent too much time with you, 
it's really just me trying to be considerate of her feelings, right? I'm not changing what I need and I'm not taking away from myself by not saying those words. I'm just saying it in a way that she can hear it. Yeah, I think that's part of what we're learning too is, you know, the whole thing is um, safe for us, respectful of them. So you know that she does get her feelings hurt and it's not throwing her feelings like when we say, should you care about other people's feelings? And when we say, well, no, we don't mean it in a literal form, right? We're not, nobody is in here in recovery promoting go out and hurt people's feelings. What it means is that I am going to be respectful of what, of the, of them. I'm going, you, and in this case with your mom, you know her feelings. She's sensitive about that. She's a codependent uh-huh. and she struggles with self-esteem, not being good enough, abandonment, struggles, right? Codependent issues. And that's for her is triggering. And you know that, but your recovery has given you that understanding of her. So now you get to do it a little bit differently. But that doesn't mean you are just, I don't care about her feelings. You're just more mindful of her feeling. Right. And in your situation, right, it's the exact same thing, except that your mom's feelings don't get hurt when you tell her that. So you don't have to be mindful of that. I think that that right there, those two examples are being considerate of where someone else is saying the exact same thing we're doing the exact same thing we're just doing it in a different way where the people we are doing it to or with can take it in exactly my mom does a lot of reading and a lot of her own self work trying to understand codependency and how to be different there was been a lot of conversations between her and i about what i mean when i say that because like i said that's she has not always been good about it she was very much where your mom was for the longest time until we've had we had to have probably five or six conversations on this one topic for her to understand what i meant when i would say i need some space that doesn't mean i don't love you that doesn't mean i don't ever want to talk to you it just means i need a window of time to rejuvenate myself re-energize myself so I can come from a better place and I won't be as short or as rude or disrespectful. And I think that that is how you put into action admitting that you are powerless over others, right? Mm -hmm. We need space. You need space. I need space. Our moms don't necessarily want to give us that space at the time that we need it. So rather than trying to be powerful and force them to do it because that's what we want and make them understand and change them, we are accepting that I am powerless over my mother and I cannot change her perception. I cannot correct what she thinks or feels. And I am still doing what I need to do for me. I want to switch gears here just for a little bit. What do you think about the concept? Because, right, we talk, we're talking about control and how we can't control people in our lives. Well, can I control my children? I mean, I gave birth to them. No. <laughs> 
Have you ever tried to force a child to take medicine and that child refused to take medicine? Um, yes, I used to have to do it to Dylan. When you was- end up, right, yes. I had to do it to Cameron. I ended up, two people, yep. one person sitting on the child, holding them down, and the other person holding their mouth open while we squeeze a syringe of medicine in their mouth and then close their mouth. And typically, I don't know about yours, but my daughter would spit that crap all over us. 90% of the time, there was more medicine on the floor and the headache was way more worth it. And she still didn't take it. If I could control my child, she would have opened her damn mouth and swallowed (laughs) that medicine. We took Dylan to the emergency room one time with an asthma attack. And I remember the the person's like, okay, well, I'll give him his medicine. I'm like, you're not going to be able to give him his medicine. Oh, yeah, we'll be fine. No, it's gonna, I'm going to have to hold him down. No. Same exact thing. One person had to be on top. One had to be on one side of him. One had to be on at his head, right? You're holding his hands. You're holding his sitting on him and holding his head and doing that whole trying to show. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Yeah, life would have been so much easier if he would have just taken medicine. Right? If you could control your kid, they would take their medicine. Yep. If, if I could control my kid. We wouldn't have those little backpack leashes because kids run run off from their parents. Right. I mean, no, I cannot control my kid. I can give my kid rules and I can hope my kid follows them. I can give my kid consequences and discipline, but I sure as hell can't control them. We talk so much about giving our children freedom and freedom of choice, right? One of the, it's in our constitution, right? We have freedoms. We have freedom of choice. We, we want our kids to be able to have their, that is part of raising our kids, but then we turn around and we try to control what they do, how they're going to, how they're going to live their lives, how they're going to spend their future. What are they going to do in their careers? Controlling my kids has never worked. Not once. It, what right is, down to the parents who don't want the, and it's mostly dads, right? I'll go there. The dads that don't want their daughters to get their hair cut, right? That's a very stereotypical thing in our culture. Right down to that. I have two daughters and both of my daughters, Nick does not, I, he just doesn't want the girls to get their hairs cut. He, he doesn't want it. Dramatic change, no crazy colors, right? And because of that, my youngest is 11. She just went, and when he finally agreed to let her get her hair cut, she cut 14 inches off. She went all in. Yes. My, and my oldest daughter, actually right around the same age, did the exact same thing. She cut 13, I think it was 13 or 16 inches that she cut off hers right around the same age. Yeah. And it is, that is what happens when we try to control our children. They do the exact opposite the very second they are able. And they will always be able because you're not always there. And you know what happens when we control? And I, I've, I've experienced this and I've been so blessed to have a, you know, the ability to work with, talk with Dylan and change some of that stuff. And I'm a, I was a helicopter mom. I was controlling. I was manipulating. And what it did was it ended up not killing our relationship but it put a gap in the relationship. And we have always been ride or dies. Like, I know he's there. He knows I'm there. We'll have each other's backs. But what was happening, because when he was trying to go into adulthood, 
at 20, trying to be on his, you know, really figure himself out as an adult, I was still trying to control. And when he moved out, it was, it was his way to get freedom. And what happened was, yes, we still talked, but there was, it wasn't as close as it was. And one of the things that I have found with him is once I just gave up control and it's his life, he's going to do with it what he wants. And I'm, I'm going to, I'll just be here, right? I'll just be here. I don't have to swoop in and save anything. You mean you're powerless over him? Yeah, I am. You know, he and calls, so as soon as you realize that, he now calls and asks my opinion on things. That's such a crazy story, Dawn. Do you know, I have a 20-year-old daughter. She will be 21 at the end of November. And when she was 19 and 20, she had started college. And boy, when she got out of this house, I was that controlling mom, right? Mm -hmm. Know every single thing happening at school, 100% in at school, know all your test grades, check your homework every single night. Like I was that mom. And then she moved out and she went to college. And I was the mom that also had her top five schools a year before and scholarship essays. And I read over them and we applied to schools six months before even thinking about needing to. And like, I was that mom. And then she went to college and she quit school. And then I was like, oh my God, I need her to be at home and she's got to work full time and she's got to figure out a path. And the harder I pushed her to live her life my way, the further the other way she went. Literally, like if I said, you need to get a full-time job that has meaning behind it and you need to enroll in school, and she went and worked at the gas station <laughs> and dropped out. Like literally that extreme. And once I let go, I let go of the need to force my child to live her life my way, even whether she, I don't care if she's an adult or she's 11, it's not my life. It is her life. Mm -hmm. And once I let go of the need to force her to live her life my way, our relationship blossomed. Like we have dinner together once a week. We text every day. We talk on the phone two or three times a week from going three or four weeks without hearing from her in a text. Or I would text her, I love you and miss you. And she would say, me too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like only thing that changed was my level of control. It's crazy. It's just crazy. All right. So last thing I want to bring up, last topic is we were talking earlier about things being a lot, right? Our mothers being a lot, work being a mm -hmm. lot, kids being a lot. And then it all being a lot at the same time. Uh-huh. But what about recovery? It can be a lot, too. It can be a lot, too. And I think we have to know how to balance that out as well as anything else. I have to know when to say, I'm sorry, I cannot add more recovery to my plate today. Whether that be another meeting, whether that be a 12-step call or working through a step or a sponsee call, I have to be able to say, I'm sorry, I cannot do it today. Actually, I'm not sorry. I have to be able to say, I can't do it today. I actually had the opportunity this weekend. I talked with someone in the group that asked, um, actually reached out to me and I talked to her. And of course, she asked me to be, um, if I was available to sponsor. And I, I had to say no. Um, but I had another sponsee 
say to me the other day she was talking in our small group about reaching out to others and she's like you know i used to always get so hurt and offended because people would not text back immediately and the biggest one of the biggest things dawn has taught me in my life or that she's changed my thought process on was people responding to me people do not have to respond to me and it's okay because i used to think it was me that was the issue i she would say i was i was the one it was my fault or i wasn't good enough or i you know i made her mad or whatever she's like i would tell them this story but then dawn would be like oh you know she'd get back to she'd say she would dawn would get back to me couple hours later and like oh I was sorry I was at dinner you know I have time to chat and she's like what that proved to me was it's okay to ask for the space I need and I I thought that was really interesting because I do it because it's that's my right as it because it's my time and my time's valuable but leading by example in recovery kind of gives people the permission to do the same thing in their own recovery I think that's most of what this program is about learning through other people's experience, strength, and hope. Because if somebody came to me and said, hey, you need to say no. Actually, several people have done that. Hey, you need to tell that person no because you're overdoing it and you're Mm -hmm. overextending yourself. I would immediately get defensive. What do you mean? I can handle it. I got this. But as soon as I started hearing other people talk about themselves being overextended and learning to say no and how good it felt to stand up for themselves and to support themselves and their needs, it allowed me to hear what was being said without becoming defensive. Yeah. I think that's important. It is important. And that's really why I wanted to talk about that piece of it. I wanted to talk about recovery because it is important. This is also a very big part of our lives, just like work, just like our children, just like our mothers and our families, that it is okay for me to take the time and the space that I need in every aspect of my life and not focus or obsess about how someone else will feel about it. I am not unreachable, meaning if someone reaches out to me, I am, I will reach back out. It's just, I don't have to do it in the other person's time frame. I get to do it in my time frame because my time is valuable. I am valuable and I'm also powerless and my life has been unmanageable and I cannot let it go back there. Yeah, I think it's crazy how As we talk about all these different things that we've discussed tonight, I keep saying on the podcast as well as in my head, that's how I'm powerless over others. That's how I'm powerless over others. Mm -hmm. And that's really a lot of what we've discussed is the ways in which I am powerless over others. And in trying to have power and exert power over others, I make my life unmanageable. And when I let go of that trying to have power over others my life does become manageable it does become free it does become calmer and smoother and more peaceful and then even sorry even just the level of unmanageability changes as i become better we alluded to this earlier, nobody's saying unmanageability goes away in, in entirety it just means Like you said, I would have piled it on and piled it on. Now I took three days. 
I think that's a great way to end tonight. I do too. Once we accept that we are powerless over others, our lives can go from unmanageability to manageability very quickly. Yes. Well, tonight has been another wonderful evening. Thank you so much for this great conversation, Dawn. And I hope you listeners have taken something out of this and have had an an amazing hour with us as well. Thank you, Ashley. And I will talk to everybody next week. Bye. All right. Bye. We would like to thank you for joining us on this journey of self-discovery. Visit the Work It website at workityouareworthit.com to submit your questions and topics for future episodes. And remember, work it because you are worth it.